Welcome to Revenue Jam, powered by Sales Assembly. With monthly live sessions, interviews with our executive team, and exclusive conversations with revenue leaders across B2B tech, this podcast is guaranteed to help you close the skill gaps across your entire go-to-market team. If you're looking for weekly, relevant, and timely content like this, go ahead and subscribe. Let's get into this episode. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of Fireside Friday. I'm Jeff Rossett, CEO of Sales Assembly. I'm joined by Connor Martin, leader over at RFPIO. Connor, welcome. Hey, thanks, Jeff. Glad to have a conversation. Excited for it. So Yeah, I'm excited too. So uh, before we dive in, give everyone the quick 45-second uh, overview of your role and what you guys do, and then we'll uh, we'll hop in. Yeah, so I'm Vice President of Sales at RPIO, focusing on new business, you know, customer acquisition, growing new markets, greenfield and com- competitive. Primarily focused on North America and the UK, but certainly as an early employee at RPIO, have a lot of influence, thankfully, and the opportunity to have a lot of influence through many years, almost seven years now, in all the sales areas at RPIO. And we offer a response management solution that helps teams uh, improve the way they share and exchange information with customers and prospects. And that could look at like responding to RFPs, responding to emails with questions in the sales cycle, security questionnaires, and some other use cases as well. But that's it in a nutshell. Yeah. Super helpful resource, especially in today's environment with all the communication going back and forth. And I'm sure all the restrictions on security and things like that probably come into play as well, right? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Strong use case and strong customer base for us and security. Awesome. Okay. So we were chatting for a few minutes before we got started and you brought up a topic that I'm just like super interested to dive in with you. And I know that, you know, category creation, category leadership, it's, it's always a buzz phrase that's talked about within tech. And this is something that's on the top of your mind and my mind too. So I'd love just to kind of get your thoughts on when you think about your business and becoming like a category leader and how do you go about your go-to-market motion and selling your product when you're not just some startup CRM going after trying to nibble away at the, the edges of Salesforce's business, but you're leading from the front? Like, what's the strategy? How do you go about doing that? And even more so, like, how do you get to that point? If I could tell everybody how to get to that point, then I'd know it all, I think. <laughs> so I don't think I have the answer of exactly how to get there. But that's a really long discussion and lots of debate, I'm sure, on different strategies. For us, our position was a little bit unique. We started, we were a late entrant into an emerging market. So if you go look at response management or RFP software, it's kind of the legacy. There were some legacy things out there, but seven, eight years ago is when some of the new players started to emerge in the cloud and in SaaS and whatnot. And then it's just gone gangbusters since then. And we entered even late in that group, in that cohort, but we quickly found ourselves taking the lead position. That was primarily through, I believe, two things in that startup, you know, kind of biting at the corners of a big player. For us, I think it was one product market fit for our product was incredible. And that can overcome a lot in other areas of the business when you're trying to grow. If your product market fit is just really there, the need was there, people were hungry, they felt the pain. So it made selling a lot easier in those very early days. And then the second piece, so first one, product market fit. Second one, I think was, we were really fortunate in early days to have some incredible early, early sales talent. I mean, we didn't have a, a sales leader, quote unquote, 
formally at RFPIO for our first several years, for too long, frankly. And we had a bunch of high-performing individual contributors who could take an amazing product with great product market fit and accelerate that. And then in more recent years, as we've realized, okay, we're either going to become that for sure category leader and break out and kind of rise above the clouds and take that major position, or somebody else is going to try to do it. And we're going to be the ones that do it, right? It's either now or never, more or less. And so we've been much more specific on the big moves we're making as a company. We've been fortunate to bring on some key executive hires in the marketing and sales org as well that I work closely with to make some of these big moves in that area of category leadership. And I would say that blueprint for us has been, and maybe that other people could glean off of, has been some of the big moves I'll share are, let's say three of them. One would be having a consistent story, like the narrative that your prospects, that the market is telling you about what they need and the pain they're feeling, and your story back to them about how you solve that pain. And it sounds really simple, but if you're not telling that same story every time as you scale and you have 50 reps or hundred reps or 500 reps, and they're all telling their own version of the story, but the prospects are all telling the same story, you're doing it wrong, right? Yeah. I mean, if the prospects are all sharing that same thing and you're the one that can meet it the best, then get that story tightened up and, and deliver it in the same way. So is that like brand messaging and positioning or is that like a point of view as it pertains to like, here's the way the companies have always solved this problem. We feel it to be differently and this is what we believe. And if you believe the same thing, then come along with us. It's, it's really both end because with the emergence or the category leadership, part of that's about paving a new path that didn't really exist, right? So you've got to get, you've got to have, okay, here you're over here and we believe you can be over here. You have to build that bridge to get across. And for some companies, they're you know tech friendly, they're early adopters, they're excited. They're like, great, I'm going to go across the bridge without like Indiana Jones. Like, I'm just going to walk across the invisible bridge. I don't need any path. I'm ready to jump in. And others, you really have to lay that out clearly. So it's really both. It's that narrative of here's how we solve it. Here's how customers have needed us to solve it. Here's how we solve it. Also, let's think broader, bigger. And here's the other areas that we can guide you in, in this like category that hasn't really existed in areas that, you know, you've needed help, but you haven't really had a solution. Here's how we've done it with others. Right. So it's, it's definitely both. Cool. Got it. I know I kind of interjected there a moment ago. You said there was a couple of things. Yeah. I mean, one was that narrative, that story. Another one for us has been really pushing into, and it doesn't matter if you're in the market, if you're Zoom in 2020, or if you're like Salesforce that already has a ton of market saturation, really pushing into the cost of the executing on this, finding this solution with either business cases or cost justification or value selling or whatever you want to call that, really pushing into that as a standard, especially in the current buying conditions, budget restrictions and whatnot. But that doesn't matter with whether it's 2021, everybody's spending or now, that's going to help you break out because you're with that consistent story. You're also consistently delivering leading economics 
that justify the expense for the leading solution, mm -hmm. right? So tying then backing that narrative up with the economics that go with it. So that's a, a second really big one. And then a third really big one is a, actually I won't, I can't say, it's a teaser, but this is totally a teaser. So we're gonna make some big announcements here next week. And that'll be a third big one that will be dropped all over social and everything if anybody follows RFPIO. So we'll leave that one at that. Okay. Well, by the time this episode drops, who knows if that big announcement will have already went live. So, I mean, what I heard from you was like, you know, not like not rocket science stuff, right? It's like, you know, make sure that you have strong positioning and that you have your entire company, like pitching the same message, make sure that you have value that you're incorporating into the sales process. And you're able to show like what the ROI would be of, of either taking action or inaction. And like, this is this is stuff that, you know, we've been taught since, you know, sales 101. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, they try to get too cute. They try to get too creative when they're going through kind of like goofy times like we are now, especially in tech. Or if you're trying to be that category leader and you think that you have to be the most creative company or marketing company in the world. And sometimes it's just like doing the fundamentals in the right way and just like backing it up with, of course, checkmark having a good product that people really like. And that was the first point that you made. It's like, yeah, you're going to have a tough time really rising to the top if you're selling something that's just mediocre, right? I mean, it's all built on the back of something that fits really well to the challenge that the market has. And I think part of that for any category leader that you would name, whether it's, you know, Salesforce in the CRM world, arguably you could say Dynamics, you could say HubSpot. They're all kind of leaders in their own ways, but they all have, legitimate, strong products that solve some real challenges. I don't think you can do that. You've got to have the goods to back it up, of course. Right. And then like the simplicity fundamental, we, any sales leader, you know, in our peer groups and sales leader peer groups or whatever, there's nothing new in sales leadership or in sales in general. Like it's all been done at some point before. So those are really fundamental things that we're leaning on and growing. I know there's complexity to them, but they're very fundamental in their concepts. Yeah, I dig it. So I know that the space that you're in, it's a very competitive space, a lot of players, uh, a lot of legacy companies. And then when you think about that, coupled with just like, you know, everyone's talking about just the the onslaught of competition that, you know, everyone's coming out of the woodworks, everyone's throwing sales rep at, sales rep at prospects right now, trying to go ahead and secure budget from pro, from companies like What's your take on just selling with increased competition in the market? Because this is something that a lot of companies are, are really dealing with right now. Yeah. One of those points on the, you know, rising as the category leader being providing the solid economics behind the solution. That's the same for playing in a competitive market. And I think we need to define competition. Jeff, when you hear competition, what's your first thought? My first thought, I mean, we're up against a foe that we have to be able to meet head to head. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we're not going to be able to rely on selling on price or selling on coercion or negotiation. We have to sell through value. And if our far product and our offering doesn't provide more value than the company down the street, we're going to have a tough time closing deals. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I think one thing we need, we have had to do it as intentional job of clarifying is that competition is not just another solution competitor. 
is that looking at no decision and budget and you know manual free options and status quo and all these other things as competition as well and trying to prop those things up in the same way we do our competition because if you have let's say an inbound or an outbound and you create a sales conversation and somebody says yes there's something there for the nine out of ten or whatever percentage high percentage there's something there that they're they have a challenge that your solution could theoretically solve so there's a willingness to spend some sort of money that's the whole premise of of selling right is you're going to get them to spend money on something you can solve that they need help with so whether they end up the the whether they end up spending on you your solution or they spend on a consultant or they spend on another technology or they just keep on doing it the way they've been doing it they don't spend additional money on anything that's still competition because they were willing to at one point say i want to investigate what it would be like to spend money to get a solution for this so we have we've had to intentionally expand our idea of what competition is and it's not just the number you know, one vendor competitor that we have or the legacy competitor we have or the new up and comer that's come up or the company that got acquired by a big company. So now we're, you know, all these scenarios. It's that, th those those other ones, the the manual, the, you know, cost, the the no decision, the, the status quo, all those things. And so with that baseline definition, we we've really changed our perspective on what it looks like to, you know, sell against the competition, particularly in this market. Because if you apply that solid economics behind the solution, if you apply that solid economics, it doesn't matter what your competition is. It doesn't matter if they're spending money on something else and we're trying to get them to move over. Okay, they have some budget allocated. But if they're not spending money on something and we're trying to get them to go with us versus something else, our economics are our economics. Our economics aren't going to change depending upon, you know, who the competition is. The value of our solution is what we believe in and the economics that back it up. So that might not be what, you know, the hot take that people are looking for these days that, oh, well, here's the secret to beating your competition in that cycle kind of goes back to those fundamentals. But I'd say one thing for us has been changing that definition, like I mentioned. The way that I read that is, is you're looking at competition, not necessarily one service provider to the next, but you're looking at competition as, you know, any decision to allocate time, resources, or budget, regardless if it's a product in your category, a product in a different category, hiring an internal employee, keeping status quo because they have priorities to do things in, you know, the fourth quarter in some area of the bit, like whatever. Yeah. It's looking at competition, and, and and I think it's a really insightful way to look at it because now you as a salesperson can approach that conversation much differently if it's not just about look at my feature set versus the feature set of, of my competitor company that you see on G2. It's let's talk about the ROI that you're going to get from using my product compared to anything else that you could spend your time, resources, or money on. That's uh, right. It's interesting because I'm actually... I've been reading a book lately called The Jolt Effect. Have you have you picked that one up yet? I haven't read it. I got it last year. Who's the guy? Yeah, Matt Dixon, who who was you know one of the folks that helped to write the Challenger sale. And and you know, TLDR is the entire premise of the book is around getting customers through their propensity of inaction and even if they're sold on your product and your solution we're 
you know, reps are losing deals because they simply can't get a company to want to move forward because they're afraid they're going to make the wrong decision. They're afraid that opportunity cost of what they could be spending their money and time on elsewhere, even if they feel your product could help me solve my problem. It's that last leg of the sales cycle. It's not about proving your value and it's not about showing why you're better than your competition. It's about getting from a psychological standpoint, your prospect to agree that moving forward with your product is the right thing to do and they're not going to regret it. Hmm. And I kind of hear you touching on some of that stuff here. And it's just like, it's an interesting way to think about it. I need to read it then because I have it. And I think that it doesn't matter if you're, like if you have compelling economics on a deal, if you have a compelling solution, if you have a feature function set, a lot of, I'd say reps especially, are asking a manager or a VP or a director or whatever, what what do I say when they ask me about my differentiators? My answer is always, you're not answering that. That's not the question you need to be answering directly. We need to get to at least one level deeper than why they're asking that question in the first place. They're trying to solve a challenge that they have and they want to make sure they're like, to your point, investing in the right solution and making the right decision to solve that challenge. That's why they're asking that question. We don't need to say, this is the feature set we have, this is the feature set they have. It's about your solution and do you have the feature set or the function set or the value that is perceived and hopefully actual that they can get in your thing, your product, your service. Doesn't matter if they have it also, and they might have it also, you know, they might have an internal hire that comes in and says, I could do all that, or I could build a access database that could do a bunch of stuff that this can do. And it's going to cost me $285,000 over the next three years. That's a theoretical, you know, idea that they could say could happen internally. That doesn't matter because you're not selling theirs. <laughs> you're selling yours. You only have yours and you need to find that path with, with that not that individual, but with that group that wants to get it done. And so, yeah, I think we're in the same vein there. It sounds like I need to read that. I do need to prioritize the jolt effect. <laughs> it's a good one. It's a good one. Yeah, check it out for sure. Man, this was awesome. This was, you know, you're taking, you know, topics that are commonly known and you're just kind of putting a different spin on it. So I love it. I want to close out with, you got me hungry as we were kind of chatting on the phone here before we started. <laughs> Our, our recording, we're talking about stakes. So give so a couple of, couple of questions that I have for you around stakes. The first question is, what's your favorite cut of steak? It's definitely ribeye. Ribeye. Okay. Is that a bone-in or just? I'm, I will, I love it both ways, bone-in or boneless, but we'll say boneless. Yeah. Okay. Um, Next question, what's your favorite side to order with a steak at a steakhouse? Oh, gosh, that is a great one. It's interesting because we I often defer on the sides and just go with <laughs> just go with the main entree. But there's this place in Oklahoma City where I am called Cattleman's. It's a true cowboy steakhouse. So hopefully somebody out there that listens to this has heard of it. and We can talk about it. And they will do a like a, a it doesn't sound very appetizing but they'll do like a bean soup and it's just the it's just a great compliment if i'm going a little bit more upper upper end you know like a, a higher end steakhouse 
it's probably going to be like sauteed mushrooms because love getting the sauce and some of that in there or like some asparagus with the crunch but if it's if it's that i'm looking for the true like oklahoma steakhouse experience at cattleman's it's probably the bean soup <laughs> all right i'll i'm gonna have to take your word for it on the bean soup my man all right i, I might go with the old rotten potatoes or the cream spinach but uh, bean soup okay that's a new spin <laughs> i've never heard that one okay yeah. awesome well sorry for all the vegetarians hopefully you had the earmuffs on for that segment but this was great, man. I appreciate you you jumping on, uh, dropping some knowledge. If people want to connect with you, what's the best thing to do? Obviously, you're on LinkedIn, but uh, anything else people should know? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm at RFPIO. It's just my first name at RFPIO.com. No problem. Blasting my email out there. Won't go quite so far as putting my cell phone. But <laughs> yeah, happy to happy to connect and always looking to elevate my understanding and and knowledge with other leaders. So. Yeah, I appreciate the the forum and the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's good that it's short. That's really good because there's no, like, oh, I got to carry this thing for a long time. And for somebody like me who can just wax on, it kind of forces you to to keep it concise too. So. I know myself, I got about 20 minutes of, of decent interaction in me and then I just turn into like a sack of potatoes. So I, I like to cut it off while I'm still ahead. So uh, I appreciate you joining me. Thanks everyone for listening. I'll see you next week. Thanks, Thank you for listening to this episode of Revenue Jam. If you want more practical tips and sales leadership advice, join us for our monthly live sessions. You can join in the conversation with Todd, Sam, Jen, and Matt every single month by going to lp.salesassembly.com live. And if you're looking for a solution to upskill your entire go-to-market team, check out salesassembly.com tour to see an ungated interactive demo. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode.